These tools are for you to use. These tools are for you to use. Welcome to This Is Your Afterlife, conversations with artists and activists about death and life. My name is Dave Marr. I am the host of the show. I'm a comedian in Chicago. I survived a coma seven years ago now. It's over. No big deal. But I still got questions. And the person I'm asking questions today is Ross Simonini. Ross is a visual artist, a musician, a painter. That's a visual art. A He's a, he's a dialogist himself. He does interviews uh, he writes for uh, The Believer. There is a, an essay of his in The Believer called The All that serves as a great platform for this conversation. You don't need to have read it, but if you do read it, it'll be linked in the show notes, and I think you'll find it complements our conversation well. Ross is a thoughtful guy, uh, a very well-educated, well-read, well-spoken guy, and I was very excited to have such a he resisted it but it, it is a heady conversation um so much so that i split it into two parts you're getting part 1 today of me and ross talking and the big question i lead off a lot of the interviews with is what do you hope happens when you die that's almost entirely this whole episode so you will hear about ross's theory of thinking about life, about trying to understand and touch the unknown by pointing to the known, getting to the thing by subtracting what the thing is not. So that is part one. And then you'll hear a little uh, little teaser for the next part, which is uh, his funeral planning is how that starts. And that will be part two later this week. So subscribe to the show. That's a great way to support the show anyway, but it will also help you get part two automatically when it drops. And part two gets especially crazy because we start talking about actual supernatural experiences. I think it's fair to say that Ross has had. Um, so you'll definitely want to hear that. Other good ways to support to support the show is if you're already subscribed, review the show in your app. Uh, say something you like about it, say your favorite episode. Also, if you've already done those things, subscribe to the Patreon, patreon.com slash Dave Marr. You will get to hear my full conversations with guests, including with Ross when we sync up our audio. Uh, it's an over two-hour conversation I had with Ross. So if you like this, even with parts one and two, it's less than an hour and a half. So go to the Patreon right now. That full conversation is is up. So spoilers are there. You can find out all about Ross at his Instagram, at his website. Those links are in the show notes. I think I've said show notes several times. If not, I've just thought it in this intro. And yeah, I want to thank my Pigeon Level patrons on Patreon, Fred Fidawa, Susie Carroll, Kurt Chang, and Katie Llewellyn. And now, please enjoy part one of my conversation with Ross Simonini. I grab your whip and take it back to Chi-Town. When I'm in Chi-Town, I treat it like it's... Paint your hell. Paint my hell. Um, hell. Hell, hell. 
I tend to see heaven and hell in the in the more mystical tradition of them being states of mind. Mm-hmm. And my particular hell is lots of me. Too much me. Okay. Get, say more. What do you mean, like, in what way? I cannot think outside of myself. I cannot get beyond my own perspective. I'm unable to experience this situation without me being the dominant experience in it. So what does that look like? Like, if I were to see you from outside, would I be able to tell that you were in a hell? Or would it just look like you were, whatever, drinking coffee, walking the dog, whatever whatever the usual day-to-day activities are? I think I would not seem my best self. I okay. Would, I would seem a little off, and I would seem internal, which would which would be, uh, yeah, an in- indication that I'm I'm unable to connect with a- another person and get outside of myself. Is there a like a are, are there specific roads you go down in the self contemplation? Uh, in this particular hellish obsession with self, because there's a lot of different ways we could go. We could go body image. We could go pure existential. We could go career insecurities, relation. You know, where where does it tend for you? It's kind of a cyclical thing because part of part of it is a concern about not being able to connect with other people. So Okay, okay. I I feel as if I'm unable to to meaningfully relate to other people and that that can be as you're saying through um art. You know, it can it can be in that careeristic sense you're talking about but can it also be an interpersonal one um socializing uh it can also be you know familial with feeling as if i'm not reaching uh, a certain level of depth with <laughs> friends and family um and it can also just so be, it's from yeah. the start it is like a meta concern well I wouldn't say it's just a, it's not just an intellectual thing. It's feeling based. It is, it is. Okay. Okay. I, I'm feeling this connection with people or I'm not feeling it. And I do think some of that is intellectual. You know, I, I think, and I, and I think it's internal. Sometimes I can feel a connection when it isn't there. And other times I won't feel a connection and someone else strongly feels right, it. Right. Right. So ultimately it does come down to, me making this feeling but i i do struggle with uh feeling connected and and we could get into like what that is on a deeper level i'm not i'm not sure you know i exactly but i do think that it is uh it is a, a very like foundational kind of desire that people have is to 
feel connected. Um, and I don't even think, I think you can go beyond people with this. I could get sure. a little beyond people. I could go into, you know, nature and feeling connected to the absolute or, or whatever it might be. Um, and I think those are all true for me as well. But I think that's good, actually. I mean, I do, I don't, as much as this is a hell, I think it's necessary and it is like one of the fundamental struggles in life. What do you mean it's necessary? What, why is it necessary? What's the function of it? I think absence is important in every respect and feeling the absence of a connection often makes me further establish it with a person or with nature or with making work, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so the anxiety comes out of all of that about this, that, that is, that is hell, you know, uh, the, the anxiety of, of being lost in that state or, um, or at times when I really do feel it, that's the closest I get to hell. Hey, it's Dave. I'm not talking to the guest right now. I just want to let you know, I intentionally construct these episodes to allow my guests to speak as much as possible. But if you enjoy the perspective of mine that does come through in this podcast and you want to hear more from me, please subscribe to my weekly newsletter. It's called Hella Immaculate. There is a link in the show notes that you can click and sign up right away. You can also go to my website, thisisdavemar.com. What you'll get is every week an essay from me and basically a mood board of links, sometimes mutual aid fundraisers and music that I recommend. It's like we're in a conversation and hopefully I'm sharing cool stuff with you. I'm either your cool friend or your slightly anxious friend, probably both. Anyway, if you like hearing from me and you want to hear more, subscribe to Hello Immaculate. Thanks. And now back to the conversation. What do you hope happens when you die? I've been thinking about this in preparation of the show, and I'm not someone who's ever had grounded ideas about the afterlife. I grew up very christian and catholic uh you know i was in catholic school and for 13 years and i at a certain point when i was quite young went pretty deep i was an altar boy and and even then i never felt clear about the whole heaven hell afterlife thing it never felt uh it never felt like a, sh a sure bet. Um, so what I've noticed that I've come to over the years is actually relating to what I just said, the absence. I really need a lot of absences in my life, a lot of voids. And it's better for me to, to think negatively about the afterlife to think of what it is not going to be and okay and i know it sounds like a bit like a cop-out but 
but it's how I notice I approach a lot of things. Um, in Christianity, they call this like apophaticism. In uh, Hindu Hinduism, they often call it uh, neti neti. It's it's the idea of, of of approaching something by negating everything that it's not. Okay. And oftentimes, I I notice that I I have to arrive at anything that way, and so. With the afterlife, I often go to a place where I'm constantly negating things that I don't think it is, the things that don't make sense to me. And I'm, whether it's, uh, you know, reincarnation, I'm, I'm, I'm always looking at that and, and it never, why, what aspects of it feel right, what don't. And constantly uh, doing the whack-a-mole move with it, you know? Um, yeah. And so I, I often arrive at at nothing. And and the nothingness is good. I think the nothingness, a lot of people would say, oh, that's, that's depressing. That's pessimistic. And it, and it could be. But I find pessimism and, and this kind of negativity or even like Buddhist thought often is is negative in this way um i find it really uplifting for some reason it's it's like uh you know uh marie kondo it's like it's like you're clearing out all the 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 detritus and all the ideas that are just kind of hanging around in your brain like a plaque and i i really appreciate cleaning that stuff out and being left with nothing because i think when you have nothing something you know beautiful can can arise in that space so then is it is your nothing th- that i'm at the moment committing you as hoping for is it a no consciousness because if you're if because i feel like to eliminate consciousness it, it disallows the arrival of a future beautiful thing. Unless you're saying being repurposed, you know, my atoms being repurposed as other uh you know life is the is the beautiful thing. And that certainly does seem like a beautiful thing. Okay. But absence also seems really beautiful and it seems okay. like uh something we don't get much in life so if i have any concept of what the afterlife is it's it's not life right it's the anti-life and and if if and that seems like a like a kind of natural counterpart you know uh a yin yang situation where you get the whatever the opposite of this is and you know it's obviously a can intellectual conundrum that you can't arrive at through logic and i appreciate that about it i I appreciate that about uh like the zen koans i really spent a lot of time Mm -hmm. reading those and thinking about those and those are designed to get your brain to a point where you you can no longer think 
the, you know, the most famous one being what is the sound of one hand clapping? Uh, you know, what is the face you had before you were born? And some of them are much longer, they're stories. And I, I did a, I wrote a bit about these um, in, in grad school and, and was really interested in the idea of art or literature that could try to move you towards a place of absence. And, and so I really appreciate that the afterlife as a concept, I, I appreciate it for that reason, that it can turn my logical brain off and bring me to a place that has that absence and, and then something else can come from that. Maybe it's feeling, maybe it's belief eventually. Um, but I haven't, I haven't arrived there yet where I have a concrete belief and I'm not sure I, I ever will. I, in a way I, I, I'm always trying to cultivate that absence in different ways in life. Always saying what things are not. I mean, I love the unknown. The unknown is for me the most uh, generative and the most uh, useful tool I have as a person, as an artist, is that the, you know, we, we think about what we know that we know. And then what we know that we don't know, but then the biggest is what we don't know that we don't know. Mm -hmm. And I always try to think towards that because I, I just, you know, what is it that I don't even know that I don't know? What, what, what can I not even approach? And, uh, and that just, you know, fries my brain in a, in a beautiful way. Um, and so, I love it's using so funny. Yeah. It's so funny that you get there because as you were saying this, I'm like, absence for him sounds like a but by the way, do you use he him pronouns? Oh, do, oh yes I do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay. I was just one I realized I was assuming there. Um absence for him sounds like this um uh this foundational pillar that for me that foundational pillar is mystery and then you said the unknown and i was like oh okay these th these aren't just like these aren't just serving similar functions in our lives they might actually be close to the same thing like my mystery and your absence might be like the the over, the, over, the unknown is is maybe the the overlap in the Venn diagram of them. And for me, it's a very, I mean, it's almost a, it's, it's kind of the most like traditionally Christian I get is this, you know, the idea of, and not, not evangelical exactly kind of theologically, you know, Christian, but the, the, the unknown, the, the ineffable. Um, and with you talking about not knowing what we don't know, I relate that to, um, to be like, really concrete um because my sp my spirituality got really like the the focus got sharpened um when i got sober and a lot of the like 12 step stuff is very just concretely i'm like oh this is very workable for me this is very but it makes it concrete in a way and the idea of and this, these the the terms are going to sound very christian so understand these are just 
veils for the for the ideas behind them, but like my will versus God's will. And so my will are these these things that I know or the things that I I wouldn't even say that I know, the things I think I know. Um and then God's will being this unknown, you know, the things we don't even know we don't know uh that and, and imagining that those unknown things are always gentler and more loving and kinder and that's where it differs from like my childhood christianity it's not like task mastery or disciplinarian it's like what if god's will is actually hey you got super high and mismanaged your diabetes and put yourself into a coma uh i'd, I'd like to help you out of that coma you know um yeah so 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 i guess i guess i'm just saying i uh I I can appreciate that's the way that I can make sense of this absence concept you're talking about. Yeah, I I've been reading a lot of uh, Meister Eckhart, who's um, mm-hmm. a medieval Christian mystic, and he approaches the unknown a lot in his work and uses this concept of of apophaticism, which is always saying what God is not, and and that allows him to get closer and closer. And so, and he's, you know, a very devout thinker. So this is not a way of, of pushing away God. It's actually a way of getting closer to it. And, and yeah, even in, in art, I tend to want to use or to arrive at places that I don't know when I'm making the work and, and to constantly get closer to feeling uncomfortable or, or even not what we would think of as knowledge, but as feeling to not know how you're feeling about something. I think that's also Mm -hmm. uh, a kind of knowledge and a, a kind of knowing. So I, I like that, that as what I, the direction I'm always moving towards is, is the unknown. And maybe that has something to do with the afterlife, always moving towards the unknown in that respect. Well, it's kind of, it's almost frustrating to me the amount of times I notice I'm able to essentialize impulses within myself as like death impulses. Like, especially in quarantine, this, this complete desire not to lift a finger to do anything increased for me. It's, you know, things that I even want to do. My partner would be like, do you want to go for a walk? Or I would imagine like taking the next step on a fun project I'd created. And the thought was just like, fuck that, you know? Um, And, and then I thought about it more and it was like, oh, so I just want to die. That's just a desire to like not exist. Um, There. Yeah. So, so it, so even though it feels a little, it might feel like a stretch to be like, and maybe that's about the afterlife. It, like, once you, once you take, you boil it down like even two levels, it becomes very much like, oh, I want to continue to live or I want to, um, I, w- there's, there's a self destructive thing that just wants things to be over or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I th- often see, death and suicide as as 
a rest from all the right the multiplicity of of what's going on so i i will think that too at times and um and it's not it's not a defeatist position usually for me it's just uh i need some of that the opposite of whatever all this is mm. what it is pretty defeatist for me yeah okay i, I see i see yeah um, i think cuz i definitely i can understand the the comfort that suicide as an idea when people talk about that i understand that but my my brushes with it were very much like oh this feels diametrically opposed to i mean literally opposed to what it means to be alive i better uh this this feels like an alarm bell for needing some outside help yeah i wonder about the idea that life is sacred and not life is not sacred <laughs> sure yeah, sure that seems flawed to me in some ways like we what we're really worshiping all the time is life i'm i'm a little confused by that as an idea because then what you know what about rocks and air and other you know we don't those aren't life as we consider it so then we consider it to not be sacred but that's not true either and there are plenty of religions like animism that that worship everything as being alive and and then if you get to that point then is there no such thing as not life you know mm-hmm. but i asked i asked sure i asked that because i you know we fr- like we see suicide as choosing death or or choosing death as being sort of a choice against life which is a choice against sacredness or and that that's where things get complicated for me i'm not i'm not sure if i can go there you know hmm i know i mean i know what you're saying it just feels um I don't know. It maybe I'm maybe I'm being too reductive, but it feels like categorical to me. It feels like since we're alive, it uh, even our ability to question whether life is an ultimate good or not is a function of consciousness and our brains being alive. And so, yeah, to reject that is it. It it does feel like a real betrayal to me um and and to be honest i'm just very conscious of uh us recording this and putting it out into the world uh in a way where we're talking very abstractly about these things but um you know having having experienced like suicidal ideation you know want to be I I think you probably take this for granted as well, but want to be very clear that it's like not saying like, "Hey, it's suicide's an interesting option. Go ahead, try." Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, but 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 I that said, I do appreciate the the willingness to consider everything and really like question every foundation. I mean, to question whether life is good is truly questioning the foundations of all thought i think well i I think it's essential to what we're talking about here because if you say that life is good 
then not life becomes not good. If Mm -hmm. if life is essentially the definition of what is good, which is kind of what you're saying, then anything that is not life is not good. And I think that is what people assume and and how we take, take everything to be. And then that creates fear around not life or after the afterlife. And then you're inherently creating a position where we are always moving towards a state of fear. We're always moving away from life and towards something that is not life, which is therefore, you know, not good. And that's where I start getting, I start questioning things because I don't want my entire concept of life to be essentially moving towards something that is not good or i'm just waiting for the big not good you know and and if i so therefore if i if i don't think about life as being as being inherently good and i and then I, you know if you take away that fundamental idea and all these other things start to crumble then you're left with uh, the unknown in the afterlife which is something I can, or the mystery as you're calling it, and and I can find that to be much more uh, satisfying than than simply moving towards not goodness. I mean, or it's like this is something else I think about often is our life is punctuated for the most part by pain and suffering. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for the most yeah. part, you enter the world babies seem fairly unhappy and in a state of suffering. (laughs) And for most of us, our final moments or weeks or months or years or will likely be um, suffering, you know, Um, hopefully as little as possible. But for the most part, that's what characterizes death for us. So what does that mean that, that we enter the world and leave the world through suffering? It means that suffering is kind of a portal for us and it opens things up and therefore you know we consider suffering and affliction to be the fundamental problem that we're all dealing with but if we if we look at it that way then we realize okay wait it's not a problem it's actually the most generative thing there is it's it's the sign that something you know transformational is going to happen and then it and then it stops for me at least if i think it through that way for me it stops becoming a problem and then and then that that alleviates me for me and that's more of the i guess apophatic kind of thinking of of the not this not that no i mean what you're saying is very compelling the 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 idea of hurtling toward a not good is absolutely uh, a pretty fucked way of uh, of of thinking of things and it and and I've I've become a b- big believer in like the function of an idea being more kind of determining the truth of an idea more than some sort of abstract like like. Is it, am I an alcoholic? Am I not an alcoholic? Versus, oh, when I stop drinking, my life gets better. You know, like that function is more important than kind of parsing out the 
absolute truth of of a lot of ideas for me personally. And the function of, hey, maybe let's not think of uh, death as the ultimate not good is very much spins is very functionally uh happiness increasing so i definitely yeah can appreciate that even earlier when you were talking about the anxiety you've been having about you know the gray hairs in your beard and <laughs> and how it makes you feel less youthful and, and you have to work harder to connect with youthfulness I think even that relates to this because, I mean, obviously it does and that it signifies you're older, but, but our whole culture, the way it, it worships youth, what is that really? It's, it's essentially worshiping life and, and, yeah. and rejecting age is rejecting death. And that is more of this, right? It's, that's just another function of the same thing. And I, and I don't think that every culture has that. I think that we're, you know, living in a culture that is particularly uh, saturated in that where we are very, you know, ageist and I mean, coming out of working in, in like the music industry, I spent a long time, you know, being a touring musician and, and professionally doing that. That industry is soaked in, in this ageism. And when you, you know, you're very acutely aware that that you're going to age out of that as quickly as athletes age out, and um, and I think that that's all wrapped up in this, you know. And if we were to respect and and love the elderly more, um, then then maybe that would be a way of, of arriving at that. And I think other, you know, cultures do. Um, but, but we just haven't, we don't have that within us. So I think that creates this, this obsession with, uh, you know, we all know this. I mean, I'm saying such obvious things, but no, 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 um, no, it's, it's true. I just think it's all, it's all in there. And if we could turn our minds towards thinking about, about aging in that way more, I think that would also be part of part of this whole equation, you know? Um, it's, I mean, it's for all the, for all the prejudices that are, are discussed in our culture right now, ageism, I think is barely even touched on. And I think that's a little bit related to this fear of death as well. Um, I mean, I, yeah. I, I, I think a lot about these, these, uh, like the Ernest Becker's ideas and do you know some of this stuff where, it, where, it, you know, I, I have the, the denial of death on my bookshelf and I've started it and I have, I have never made it past 10 or so pages. Not, not out of a lack of interest. Uh, but what are, what are the ideas? I mean, he, he touches on some ideas that are part of this thing called terror management theory. And it, essentially says that all of culture everything that we make is a distraction from death that's why we all do everything that we do it's compelling it's why we you know write books and have governments and yeah podcasts and it's all Mm -hmm. just to constantly distract us from the fact that we're knowledgeable about death and again that takes 
into consideration the fact that death is the big not good and we're moving towards it. Because if we didn't feel that way, why would we need to distract ourselves from it, of course, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Who would need that? Um, And obviously religion would be part of this same cultural movement to distract ourselves from death. And I read that a long, long time ago about that stuff. And and it's, you know, I, I don't understand exactly why we need to distract ourselves from death. I don't understand why that is a fund, why, why they can take that as a, um, I mean, I do think it's a compelling argument, but I don't understand why we have to do that. Why, why, why is the distraction necessary? And I'm not someone who thinks of distraction as, as a negative either in general. So I, I, as I was saying earlier about, you know, the process, the way I work, it's essentially a series of distractions, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's okay by me as long as they're moving in a good direction. Do you think that if we, so it sounds like your viewpoint has some room for, okay, if we were to, erase the fear of death that wouldn't erase culture because that's one conclusion it's that seems like that's one ultimate uh vision of the Ernest becker ideas is that if we're no longer afraid of it we don't have to distract ourselves we don't have to make all these things to distract ourselves but i would hope that there would be some different kind of reason for the things we're calling distractions, maybe. Maybe. That we would find other reasons to make things. Maybe, but if, if I... I mean, I do think that the ultimate state would be that I don't need to make art. I, mean, I do think if I, if I could reach a place where art is like a way of interpreting the world, it's an extra step. But if I were just experiencing art all the time and we're making it in my own consciousness without there being this extra physical step. I, I think that would be wonderful, but I think art is just an expression of, of that struggle of trying to do that in your mind all the time. So I'm not someone who needs the, the object or the, you know, the song huh. as I don't worship that. I just see that as, um, as an expression of, of this, this tendency, this, this is like huh. life force. I uh, think I need the song, man. Yeah. I think I need it to other people e- even more than like, I can kind of see what you're saying for myself, but I can't imagine not getting other people's um, art like that. That feels pretty hellish to me mm-hmm. to, to imagine, uh, because that's part of the world, you know, like so many of my peak experiences have come from being exposed to to new ideas through through art. I mean, this would preclude communication. And right, right now, right. We're, we could talk about what we're doing right now as art and the way that you're speaking to me is the art of dialogue and the way you're presenting to me and the ideas that we're passing back and forth, I think are, you know, art and 
you pointing at a tree over there and me looking at it is is art you know i mean the you can get pretty open-minded about this sure but uh i guess what i'm saying is i don't i think that the painting as much as i love paintings is not the thing the painting mm. is just a way of pointing at the thing you know it's like it is like that the the zen aphorism of you know when you point at the moon look at the moon don't look at the finger right and i do think the painting's the finger i think the song's the finger everything's the finger the the moon is really i mean it's impossible to just look at the moon all the time because we need the finger to, to find our way there but but i do ultimately think the painting is still just the finger and and we're always trying to get to the you know i mean you could call the moon the the absolute or the sure man every time i think we're gonna we're gonna land and i'm gonna ask you (laughs) my next prepared question i think of three other things like right now it's like but but we are alive which we've defined in some ways as contained by suffering and and containing suffering so we the the situation we're in we need the finger like we that we're not in a situation where the finger is abolished so how you know and yeah maybe the paint i can agree that the painting is not the thing but if we all already knew the thing there would almost be no point in being alive where suffering happens right i mean that's the that's the condition of being alive we have a body and the body requires us to need the finger you know and it needs it needs to eat and it needs (laughs) people and and that's our situation that is the that is what it means to be alive but um But we do worship that still, you know, like as much as we see that it is, yeah, it is yeah. as we're talking about, like we, we're like, okay, well, well, it's got suffering. We all know that, you know, the, the Buddhists and the Christians all admit this is it. The life is suffering, you know, but then also, you know, I do think we, we also can't seem to see that, that not life wouldn't could, could could not also be good and we just worship the the baby you know the baby is like newness and everybody goes to see the new baby and it, it is one of these these things that i always think about in life is why are we all we're all going to people's houses to look at their babies and like we speak so kindly to babies and we love them and we look at them but as soon as somebody reaches you know whatever age we decide you know we're we don't speak to people like that anymore we don't just give them endless love we don't go to the house to you know to just dump love onto them like why why do we do that and it and does it have to do with this with the fact that like well you're spoiled now you know like you're you're like essentially <laughs> rotting food over time and <laughs> it was great to see you when you were fresh but you know, so would you rather there be 
no celebration of the baby or just constant celebration of someone over the whole life, which is preferable to you? Uh, the constant celebration. Yeah. Just like at ev- okay. every okay. stage of life. I mean, I think every, we can all agree that at different stages of life, we were different people. We had mm-hmm. different ideas, different experiences. I think the seven-year-old has a kind of brilliance that the 42-year-old can't have. And the, you know, 81-year-old has a brilliance that the 18-year-old can't have. And, you know, we could go on and on that each age and that we have these, I guess, instead of seeing life as, I don't know, maybe peaking at, if we take kind of like a cultural idea, like peaks at 25 or whatever it might be. And then it's downhill after that. And it's moving up, you know, I'm not sure what it is, you know, but, but, but that there is this idea that it goes up and then it goes down. Maybe it's more like a mountain range, you know, like there are a series of peaks and there are a series of, of moments when we kind of reach our potential. And then we come back and again, at another age, we reach another potential. And that way we, we wouldn't see life as sort of, we're talking about inevitably moving towards the not good, you know, Mm -hmm. um, maybe we could see a series of I've tried to map this out before. I've, I've, I've tr- actually thought this through and tried to map out what are the series of ages I've experienced. Not that this would apply to everybody, but as significant peaks in my life and not just through like experience, but like something about being, having that kind of experience, having that period of time on earth or whatever leading to a, a certain kind of enlightenment you know, for a moment and then, and then yeah. it goes away. Um, so yeah, I would like that, that, you know, we do, and we have birthdays obviously. So it's a little bit of that, but we just don't treat people with the kind of kind kindness and, um, you know, boundless love that we, we give to babies for some reason. Wouldn't it be great if you and I were just talking to each other that way? You know, like we just like, I mean, it makes me uncomfortable. It's it. I just finished the new season of Queer Eye, and it's it's a very uh, Queer Eye way of celebrating <laughs> a person. It feels very like, and it's and it's and and I my you know all of all of my gratitude and appreciation is is best. I I experience it best indirectly or refracted somehow Mm -hmm. you know like a pure like i think you're brilliant is like so uncomfortable to me you know what i mean not that i have people and even that i the fact that i have to say no you know not that i have people constantly telling me that or anything you know um but we finally have found a great portal into a very concrete question which is funeral planning one of these moments of uh you know of of marking a life what is involved in your ideal funeral ooh a cliffhanger i would say that is the show but that is not the show right now that is part 1 of the show so stick around subscribe to get part two later this week 
Go to the Patreon to hear the entire conversation, even more than parts one and part two. Find out about Ross's stuff. Click Ross's stuff. He's got a an art show, also called The All, just like his essay, that is on display in New York now at Anonymous Gallery. So, um, and now through February 19th, 2022. So, until next week, or until part two, actually, remember, you are a mist. Miracle.